Wonderful to have you all here this morning. Uh, we had our lectureship last week, as many of you know. We had a full building then, but it's very full today as well, so we're glad to have you here. If you're visiting with us, thank you for coming and, uh, and for spending your morning with us. So we're coming back to Leviticus. Uh, as I said last week, we had a bit of a break with the lectureship. Uh, I was very happy to see um, that as of the other day, we had received zero negative feedback uh, from our feedback forms. That was because at that moment we had received no feedback at all from our feedback forms. So if you haven't uh, given any feedback yet, we'd love to get you to um, fill in one of these forms up here. Just ask a couple of questions on you know, how you thought things were, whether there's anything that we could do differently next year. And when we're, when we're planning next year's lectureship, we'll consider all those things and accumulate all of our ideas, try and make it um, even better next year if possible. So let's reorient ourselves on where we are in Leviticus, where we are in this study. Okay, so today our study is uh, lesson number nine that we're doing, and this is on the Day of Atonement. It's found in Leviticus chapter 16, so if you've got a Bible in front of you, open it up to Leviticus chapter 16 with me. <clears throat> By the way, I hope you're all still following along uh, in your take-home books. If you've lost your take-home book or it's disappeared in a, in a pile in the office or something like that, we've actually got a bunch more up here. We've got, uh, I think, six or seven more that we've made up up here. So if you haven't got your Leviticus book, come up and grab one up at the end. They're just in the pulpit here or ask me and I can grab one for you. So if you've um, been following along with the family devotionals and with the questions and the, um, the further study, the activities and that kind of thing, you would have gotten a, a pretty good idea at this point of, of what Leviticus is about. You would have um, been thinking about Leviticus throughout the week. You would have been thinking about these concepts that we're talking about and, and really grounding yourself in, in the principles in Leviticus and the application today. Now, this activity for this week is, is quite a fun one. Um, now, I'm not going to hand it out. I'm just going to leave it up the front here, but you can come up and grab it at the end. Uh, we are going to be making our own tabernacles. So we've got there's three sheets uh, and they've got all of the cutouts. You've got your basin, you've got your candlestick, you've got the altar fire, the walls, the base, everything like that. It's a really cool activity. So kids and adults, um, you are very welcome to come up at the end and to take part in this activity. When you make it yourself, it helps to reinforce what the tabernacle actually looked like. And then when you're reading the text... You can grab your tabernacle off the shelf and you can show everyone, you know, this is what it was like. So that's just going to be there at the end. Uh, make sure you grab one before you leave today. So, uh, and by the way, this is what it looks like when it's all done. Looks pretty cool, hey? Uh, so you can make your own tabernacle. So this is where we're at. So in August, we looked at sacrifices. We looked at chapters 1 through to 7 and saw that sacrifice is the proper response to God's grace and his mercy and his blessings that he gives us. When God gives things to you, your natural response should be, I want to give something back. Sacrifices are more than just dealing with sin that you've committed. Sacrifices are mostly about, I just want to give something to God because we are friends, we're in a relationship. He's, he's someone that I hold dearly and I want to give things to God. I want to give the things that I have to him. I want to invite him over to my house and share a meal with him. I want to share in this, this fellowship that I have. 
So we looked at that in August, and we looked at modern-day sacrifices, how we're called to live a life of sacrifice and be continually giving things. Then in September, we looked at priests and purity. So we looked at the idea of we're all priests today. We all serve in the temple, the church today. And so we have a lot of application there. Danny took us through two lessons on, on the idea of the priesthood and how we belong to that priesthood now. It's not an exclusive thing that's, that's held by some people and the rest of us just sit back and let them do the work. We're all priests. If you're a Christian, you work in God's temple, you have jobs to do, so we've got to get on and do those things. We also looked at the ordination of priests and how God fills your hands with responsibilities. He, he gives you tasks to do and he expects you to contribute to the work of the church. We also looked at the idea of purity we looked at this idea of Nadab and Abihu and how they failed to distinguish between things that were holy and things that were common, things that were clean and things that were unclean. And this lesson we learnt again um, two weeks ago when we looked at unclean foods, how God wants us to be constantly thinking about what is good and what is bad, what is a holy choice and what is an unholy choice or a worldly choice. Um, we were down in Brisbane last night. We were at the, at the Eat Street Markets there and we were looking at all the food that was around. And I was thinking of uh, Leviticus chapter 11. I was thinking about how the clean and unclean foods that we have today, we don't have to worry about unclean foods. In Acts chapter 10, um, Peter says, you know, God says to Peter, all foods are now clean. And we see this echoed by um, Paul when it comes to Romans and, and other cases. Um, so, I said, all, all foods are clean, all right, well, let's test this, let's uh, try some, some food that might be a bit different. So I had snails for the first time last night, uh, and I'm pleased to say, uh, well, the only reason I had them was because I brought them back to the table, and I said, Hannah, try some of this, and she tried it, and she liked it. So then I thought, okay, well, I can try them now, you know, now that they're, they're safe. That's why you get married, isn't it? So you have a tester for your food. Uh, so anyway, she liked them, I liked them. We're going to eat some snails now. I'm going to try and incorporate that into our diet. So all food is clean now. We know that, that these food um, categories, clean and unclean, don't apply to us anymore. And we can rejoice in the fact that even though all food is clean, we still have to be thinking day by day, moment by moment, what are the holy choices that I can make? And what are the unholy choices? What are the good, godly decisions that I can make in my life? And what are things that are worldly or, or unclean? Okay, now this brings us into our final month. And this is everyday holiness. So we're doing four more lessons on Leviticus. And then we're going to go on to actually next month. We have our, our sermon series on peace. We've got some flyers done up for this. We've got some signs. We'll be um, giving out these flyers next week so you can give some to your friends and invite them along to um, peace. For all those friends of yours who didn't come along to the Leviticus study, maybe they'll be interested in peace. All right, let's get into what we're talking about today, the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement links very well with this idea of cleanness and purity and everyday holiness that we're looking at this month. It kind of ties the two together. So Leviticus chapter 16. So the Day of Atonement um, is called, according to the Jews, in, in the original Hebrew, it's Yom Kippur. Yom means day, Kippur means atonement. Um, they celebrate this still every year. Um, modern day Jews who, who keep the festivals, they celebrate the Day of Atonement. One of the most important festivals 
in the Jewish calendar, if not the most important one. That and the Passover are kind of considered to be the biggest days, the biggest times in the Jewish year. Um, so they still celebrate it today. Um, if you're a modern Jew, you'll be celebrating it actually this Tuesday. So this Tuesday happens to align with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Of course, the Jewish days, they start in the evening and go until the following you know, sunset. So it's this Tuesday, Wednesday, starting Tuesday evening. All right. What we're going to do in this lesson is we are looking at this idea of, of the Day of Atonement. I'm going to tell you how it works, and then after I do that, I'm going to tell you why it's important. So I'll just get you to stick with me through the first part of this sermon as we look at the procedure, because once you understand the procedure, then you'll be able to get a bit of a clearer picture on uh, why this Day of Atonement is so central to the Jewish calendar and to the Jewish people. Okay, so this is how it works. If you've got your Bible open in Leviticus 16, um, you'll be able to follow along with the, the uh, verses that I'm referencing on the screen. So the first thing that we know about the Day of Atonement is that it's all governed by the high priest. If you look at verse 1 and 2, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the de death of the two sons of Aaron when they draw, drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Okay. So in the temple, and as you build your tabernacle this week, you're going to be able to visualize this better. The tabernacle had different regions. It had the outer courtyard where all of the Jewish men could go. And then it had the, the holy place, um, which was where the priests could go. That was where you had your candlestick. That was where you had your table of showbread. You had an altar of incense there as well. And the priests could go and do their duties there. And then there was this extra place. It was called the most holy place. There's this big curtain in front of it. And you couldn't go in there. That was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that, the, on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, that's what's called the mercy seat. It's essentially the throne of God, where God was meant to metaphorically sit. So the high priest wasn't allowed to go into that place except for one day every year. And that was the Day of Atonement, this very special day. So the high priest, he had a bath. He started off his day by, by having a bath and cleansing himself, which is a great way to start your day anyway. Um, and then he would put on his holy garments. So there was a special um, outfit that he had to wear on that day to represent the, the specialness of what he was doing. The next thing that happens um, in verses 3 and 5 is he brings the necessary animals. So for this day, you need one bull, you need a ram, and you need two goats, four animals in full. You can check the verses um, and, and follow along, but I'm kind of just doing a summary of all of this. If you've already done the reading for this week, you would have gone through this um, already. So step number three, you take a bull for the purification offering to remove any accidental sins and to impurify the high priest. Um, from any impurities in his life. So this is what the high priest does. He takes the bull first and he offers that according to the purification offerings listed at the start of the book of Leviticus. And so the, the priest, he has a bath, he comes up, he wears his new clothes and then he offers a sacrifice for himself so that he is cleansed of his sin so that he can then go through with the procedures in front of him. This is just emphasizing how important this day is. It's such a big event. You know, um, 
on your wedding day. Uh, it's a really big day and you get up early and you, you, know, you make sure that you wash your hair, you make sure that everything's looking really nice. You put a lot of effort into that day because it's really special and you want everyone to know that it's really special. And that's the Day of Atonement. It's, it's this really special day and so they go through a lot of ritual to make sure that uh, everyone can see how important it is. The priest then has a cloud of incense, so he burns some incense and he takes this incense um, into the holy of holy places. He takes some of the bull's blood after he's made that sacrifice and he takes that into the holy of holies and he sprinkles it on the Ark of the Covenant onto the mercy seat there. You can read that in verse 14. Then he takes the two goats. He decides which goat is which. The two goats have two purposes. One of those goats is going to be sacrificed and killed. It's going to be an innocent goat. It's going to be without blemish. It's, it's going to be a perfect goat. And that one is going to be killed and its blood is going to be sprinkled on the altar. And then you have the other goat and we call this the scapegoat. You might have heard that term scapegoat before. Um, the, the phrase is kind of traced back to William Tyndale when he first translated the Bible into English and he decided to call this the scapegoat. There was a goat that was used and upon this goat all of the sins of all the people were, were placed on that goat. So Aaron would, or the high priest at the time, place the hand on the goat and he would say all of the sins of the people of Israel, you know, adultery and theft and lying and etc, etc. And all of those sins would be put onto the goat and that goat would then be led out of the camp and taken off into the wilderness. Um, this is called the scapegoat. If you've got a New King James or if you've got an American Standard or a New American Standard, if you've got an ESV, it says the goat for Azazel. And that's too complicated to explain right now. So if you want to know what that means, come and talk to me afterwards and we'll have a three-hour discussion on what Azazel means. All right. Um, and so then you take this scapegoat. So you know what the word scapegoat means. You know how we use that. We talk about how if you get let off something and someone else takes the blame for it, um, they were the scapegoat. So that's the same idea. You have all the sins transferred onto this one goat and that goat is taken away into the wilderness and cast out. Then finally, you have that ram that was taken and that ram is offered as a whole burnt offering. So if you're following along with me, we've got our four animals here. You've got the bull that was taken first. The bull is killed to purify the high priest. And then you have the sacrificed goat, which was part of the Day of Atonement ritual. Then you have the scapegoat. The scapegoat is taken out of the city, led away into the wilderness. And then you have the ram at the end, and the ram was uh, given as a burnt offering. Okay, so you're saying, that's great. Now I know how the Day of Atonement works, but we don't have to do it. So why did we spend all of that time learning about the Day of Atonement when we don't even need to um, kill those goats anymore? We don't even need to kill those uh, bulls and stuff. So what is the Day of Atonement all about? It's about three things, essentially. You boil it down to the principles behind it. This is what you need to know about the Day of Atonement. It's about the high priest who offers a sacrifice. It's about an innocent, unblemished goat whose blood is spilled, and it's about the one on whom the sins of the people are cast. And if you haven't picked it up already, 
Jesus is the fulfillment of all three of these things. He is the high priest who offers the sacrifice. He is the innocent, unblemished goat whose blood is spilled. And he is the one on whom the sins of the people are cast. So when you look at the Day of Atonement, there are lots of things going on and they're all pointing to Jesus. They're all pointing to someone who was to come to fulfill all of this stuff. And as we looked at in our reading in Hebrews chapter 10, all of these things in the Old Testament are shadows and the substance is found in the work of Jesus. And you're probably thinking at this stage, okay, so, but what's atonement? Right? We sing about atonement. We even sung it in uh, song number four. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life and atonement for sin. So we sing about atonement. We talk about atonement. But what is atonement? What does atonement really mean? What do we mean by atonement? Sometimes we think that atonement just means we're forgiven of our sin. Sometimes we use that as a word to represent the forgiveness of sin. And this, when we look at Leviticus chapter 16, we can see this doesn't quite fit because it's not just the people who received atonement. It was the tabernacle itself that received atonement. I want you to um, just look with me there. Leviticus 16, and we'll read verses 15 and 16. It says... Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. And, and look at what it says here. Thus he shall make atonement for what? For the people? No, for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions all their sins and so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness look also at verses 18 and 19 it says then he shall go to the altar that is before the lord and make atonement for it for what for the altar before the lord uh, sorry and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. So what was atoned? The altar was atoned here. Not, not the people, but the actual altar itself. Then look again at verse 20. It says, And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. Go down as well to verse 27. Verse 27 says, And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And then finally in verse 33, it says, He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. So finally, right at the end of the chapter, it talks about the atonement of the people. But all throughout the chapter, the main concern is not the people being atoned for, but it's the place being atoned for. So it's not really about the forgiveness of sins because the, the tabernacle hasn't sinned. The, the altar hasn't sinned before God. These uh, inanimate objects don't sin themselves. 
And so atonement isn't just about forgiveness of sins. It's also not just about reconciliation. Sometimes we think it's about atonement means putting us and God back together. But we see here that doesn't fit with what's talked about here. If a tabernacle can be atoned for, that's not talking about God reconciling with a, tabern- with a building, with a tent. So you look at the actual word kapoor comes from an Arcadian word, kafuru, and the word literally means to purge or to clean or to cover. So if you're doing your spring cleaning at the moment, you are atoning your house. You're cleaning your house. You're purging it of all of the dust. You're purging it of all of the dirt and the mud. Maybe you're purging it of all of the jeans that you never wear but are in your cupboard. You're purging all of those things out of your house. You're atoning your house. You're atoning your closet. You're atoning the place that you live to get rid of all the uncleanness there. And that's what's happening on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, if you, if you haven't understood anything else, understand this. The Day of Atonement is the spring cleaning of the temple. It's when the temple itself gets cleaned so that God can live there. Because God can't dwell in an unclean place. So the Day of Atonement is about removing all of the uncleanness of the temple so that God can come back and live there again. Does that make sense? All right. So sometimes we minimize sin and make it out to be something that the Bible doesn't represent. Sometimes we think sin is just you know, a thought in my mind or sin is just an action that I do. It's a small thing. It's, it's not really um, big. It's not really important. The Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible says your sin is really big because it's more than an action. It's pollution. Your sin actually pollutes the place where you live. It pollutes the people that you're around. It pollutes your mind. It's this great um, unclean thing that pollutes everything that it comes into contact with. Um, That's why it, it talks about all of this cleansing of the place where they were at because the Israelites because of their sin they had polluted the tent of God that actually made it unclean because of their sin is there any difference between you and I and the polluting that our sin does and the answer is no our sin still pollutes our sin still leaves stains what's the temple what's the tabernacle today it's the church right and when you're engaged in sin, habitual sin that you're not dealing with, sin that you're just letting go and, and deciding it's not that important, it's just one action, it's just one word, it's just one phrase, it's just one thought in my mind, it's not a big deal, it's not anything major, it's just one tiny little sin that I indulge in and I don't deal with. You're polluting the tabernacle. You're polluting God's dwelling place. You are making this place unclean so that God can't dwell here. We need to make sure that we take sin seriously because of its polluting effect. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat sin. It doesn't try and brush over it and say, it's really not that big a deal. Jesus had to die on a cross. He had to spill his blood as the perfect unblemished lamb to cleanse us of our sin. Not so that we would continue in sin but so that we would, through God's grace and his mercy and his strength, we would be able to change our lives, stop living in sin, stop making a habit of sin, stop leaving sin untreated and undealt with, and live in a way that's clean 
and pure and holy. So the Day of Atonement has application for you and I because we can't let sin go unchecked. We need to clean the church. I'm not just talking about the working bees. I know that we keep this building very clean. I'm thankful to everyone who puts their name on the cleaning roster over there. But our sin, when we don't deal with it, it pollutes this place. And God can't dwell where there is sin present. King David, he was a man who was close to God's heart. He was someone who was living and breathing in a spiritual, godly way. And yet, when he was confronted with this temptation of his, when he saw Bathsheba bathing, he indulged in that sin. It's no big deal. It's just a small thing, right? Just a tiny little action. It's just one night. It's just one thing. And that sin polluted his life. That sin grew to be such an enormous problem It made not just him unclean, it made his relationships unclean, it made his family unclean. They had all sorts of polluting effects on those who were around him. And it ended up having devastating effects for the whole kingdom. But he recognised that. He recognised how serious the pollution of his sin was. Look at Psalm 51 with me. Psalm 51. We're going to read verses 1 to 12. And listen to how he talks about sin and and how he wants God to clean him. How he recognizes that sin makes him dirty. It makes him unclean. It's polluted his life. And he wants to be washed. He wants to be clean of it. Not just on the outside. He wants his heart, his very heart to be clean. And he says this. And, and, you know, when you recognize, when, when we come to the point of recognizing, I've got sin that's polluting my life. I've got sin, I've got attitudes in my mind that I need to deal with, that are, that are ruining my relationships, that are ruining my, um, the friendships that I have or my relationship with people around me. I need to talk to God through this psalm. I need to ask him, like David asked, wash me and make me clean. Get rid of that polluting sin from my life. Let's read Psalm 51 verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You see a man there on his knees in tears with the consequences of his actions clearly before him. And he says, I just want you to get rid of this sin. I just want you to clean my heart because it's dirty and it's polluted 
and it's polluting people around me. So wash me and make me clean. So let's not brush aside sin. Let's not take it lightly. Let's deal with sin that we see in our hearts. Let's get on our knees and plead with God. Just remove that sin. Help me to take the sin out of my life and create a clean heart within me. If you're not a Christian, you've got to take a bath. You've got to clean yourself. You have to get clean, and the way we get clean is, as Paul says in Acts 22, verse 16, he, he says that um, he, was, he washed away his sins in the waters of baptism when he took on his new life with Christ. If you're not a Christian, you've got to get clean. You've got, you've got to get rid of that impurity in your heart. And we plead with you to think about that. Make a decision if you need to about washing away your sins. If you are a Christian, you still have to deal with sin. The game's not over there. You haven't played the get out of jail free card and then you can just get away with sin for the rest of your life. If you're a Christian, you still have to deal with sin. John talks about that in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. He says that if we confess our sins, we don't have to keep on getting back baptized. We don't wash away our sins like that all the time. If we are Christians, we confess our sins to God, to one another. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us to cleanse us, to wash us, to get rid of the dirt, the impurity in our life from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. So let's be thankful we don't need to sacrifice any goats today, any bulls, any rams. We've got the blood of Jesus that washes us from our sins. We're going to sing this song now, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Think about these things as we sing these words together.